Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, so at our house, we've got a, a big clock uh, in, in our living room. And we have a, a, our, a kindergartner who really enjoys that clock right now. Because in kindergarten, they are learning about telling time. And so he knows that he starts school at 9 a.m. And that in order to get to school and get to class on time, that we've got to leave at 8.40 when the minute hand is on the 8. And so he, he has gotten used to this, and he is just on the money every single day. He knows exactly. I mean, he'll let us know when it's time to go. He'll repeatedly let us know when it's time to go. And he, uh, you can imagine it was hard to be upset with him when, this was a few months ago, he ran into our room, he's fully dressed, he's got his backpack on, and we're asleep. And he said, the big hand's on the eight. And I went, well, that's weird, because I, I, I just don't oversleep. I, I don't sleep through, I just don't sleep this late. And I went out and I looked at the clock, and you can imagine my pleasure at seeing the big hand on the eight, and the little hand not yet to the five. 4.40 a.m., and he is ready to go. <laughs> you ever get caught up by the minute hand? Overly focused on the minute hand? Because the minute hand, we make a lot of decisions based on the minute hand, don't we? And we make a lot of decisions. But we all know, or we've all eventually learned, that the hour hand is the context hand. I mean, the minute hand can be on the eight. But depending on where the hour hand is, it could be time to sleep. It, it, it could be time to eat. It, it could be time to, what else is there? Sleep, again. Or time to eat, or time to visit, or time for an appointment, or time to go to work. And we can lose sight of that hour hand, can't we? In fact, isn't it true that maybe some of our biggest regrets were because we got so focused on the minute hand in life? I mean, you remember high school? When this week and maybe this day felt like everything because we got so focused on life's minute hand, on the details, right? And, and we couldn't see much context because at 16 years old, those four years of high school, are, they're one-fourth of your life. But now as I approach 40 years of age this year, sorry, did I say 40? 28 years of age this year, it's 10%. Of my life, and I continue to get some context, and I continue to get some perspective. Now, the reason we're talking about this is because last week we started this series called Clockwise, and the idea is that when I look at the time I've been given, what is the wisest use of this time that I've been given, whether it's the next hour or whether it's this entire lifetime? And we, we got this perspective last week from King Solomon, considered the wisest person to have ever walked this earth outside of Jesus. And he gave us this perspective, and he reminded us that there's this thing inside of us that, that is never, it's, you'll never satisfy, you'll never do anything out here externally. There'll be no activity that can satisfy it unless its purpose matches up to it. And that thing inside of us is eternity. And so there's this conundrum that we face because we get really, really focused on the minute hand of life. And we get really, really hung up in the details, in the events, in the circumstances. But there's this thing all the while inside of us, eternity. 
And so today, what I want to do is I want us to, last week was a perspective from Solomon. Today, I want us to get a, a glimpse. I want us to get a picture. And this was a picture given by, well, it's in the book of one of God's prophets, one of his messengers named Jeremiah. And we're going to look at this passage that you've seen in graduation cards. And you've probably seen it hanging on the wall at a relative's house or maybe your own house. Some people have written this verse down as a life verse. But the reason we bring this up is because the context it falls within. We often read this verse with the minute hand in mind. And it's a verse you may very well be familiar with. Let me read it to you. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 through 14 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Now, here's, here's what I've noticed I've done. I read that passage, and, and I'll read it and go, wow, that's all, like I'm looking for that to happen this week. And I'm going, wow, he's going to work everything out this week or maybe by this afternoon. Because why? Because we read this with the minute ha hand in mind. But when you think about God's people, and as we get a little bit broader context today, you know what happened? They had to hear this with the hour hand in mind. In other words, this was not going to be very quick whatsoever. And the implications of that for us, it's a totally different situation, but there is a glimpse of what the work of eternity looks like over the course of our lifetimes in this. And then in just a little bit, I want to show you why there's, there's something even better than this one. Yes, send this graduation card. Yes, hang this on your wall. Yes, maybe use this as a life verse if there's one that you're trying to memorize and remember. But there's something better. And I believe that the purpose of the context around this is to point us to something better. And so I'm going to back up a handful of verses because this passage actually falls in the middle of a letter that Jeremiah was writing to God's people as they are heading into exile. They're heading into captivity because it's been years of disobedience. And they are actually experiencing a little bit of God's judgment right now. And here's what Jeremiah says. When, he back, when we back up a handful of verses to verse 5, there are some insights here. And one of the insights that God is, is communicating to the people is this idea of, Settle in. Settle in for the long haul. Adjust your time frames a little bit. He says this, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Can you hear the time in there? This is, this is extended. This is prolonged. He goes on, marry and have sons and daughters. Whoa, this is quite prolonged. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Whoa, this is a lot longer than we thought, Lord. So that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Now, the reason he's saying this is because one chapter before this, there's a, there's a man by the name of Hananiah. And Hananiah was somebody that the Lord was not pleased with because in chapter 28, Hananiah is giving the people that this is going to be quick. And, and this might be tough for a little bit, but this relatively, it's going to be easy. He gave them this idea that it's probably going to be around two years or less. And they would be delivered from their captivity. 
And as I look at this, I just go, wow. Yeah, there's, there's a very familiar parallel there for our lives, isn't there? Because don't we imagine solutions to come much more quickly than they do? I mean, we, we imagine this by this Friday, or when I make my resolutions, or if we made resolutions, we imagine a solution coming to pass sometime in 2020, right? And we get our time frames going, and the Lord says, no, you probably want to adjust your time frames a little bit. See, they had to hear this. They had to hear this message that you're going into exile. And this is going to take longer than, than you thought and than you wanted. I mean, it would kind of be like, it reminds me of when, uh, when we were about to have our first child, Lainey, Kara, I, you know, I, we had studied all the, we had gone to baby classes and stuff like that, and, and so I was getting this picture of how long labor would take, but the thing is, I was sitting here going, my wife is the toughest woman in the world. I mean, she, she had watched all the baby shows, she had read all the baby books, and, and I thought we were just going to fly through this, and I'd heard of rumors of 20-plus hour labors, and I went... Not us. Not us. So one night, she woke me up in the middle of the night. She said, it's time. I went, no problem. We'll be back by 8 a.m. It was like midnight. <laughs> get to the hospital, get into the ER, and I, I could kind of notice the pain that she was going through. I could notice the pain, and I started to panic a little bit. And we got to the hospital, and we, get into the, we went through the emergency room exit or entrance, and Checked in at the counter, and everybody around is just real calm. It's like, there's, there's a baby coming, probably in the next half hour, all right? And they're all like, yeah, grab a, grab a seat. And I'm watching her, and, and it's starting to get real uncomfortable. That's just me, okay? She was really getting uncomfortable. So we get to this room, and, and all my, my gonna-be-a-dad coaching, like, it... it caught on, and it, it just clicked in, and so I went, okay, we did this breathing game, and, and I'll just, I'll do the breathing game with her, and there are questions that you ask, you ask them to get them to a certain point along the line, to help them focus on the progress, and so I asked this question, because I thought, this will be quick, I said, honey, she's starting to really push, can you make it 30 more minutes, and you know, when you're in that kind of pain, 30 minutes, I mean, have you been on a treadmill for two minutes? Yeah. Like 30? No. And the nurse looked at me. She's like, you might want to adjust your time frames a little bit there. And what she was getting at is you're going to have to live in the increments in order to make it longer. Settle in because this is going to take a while. And so I, I reframed the question and said, can you make it 30 more seconds? And, and Kara seemed a lot more happy with me when I asked that question. And so we did this, like, breathing game where I would, you know, do the Lamaze thing. And uh, we did one round of 30 seconds, and okay, there was a rest. And then we did the next round of 30 seconds, and, and there was a rest. By the third round of 30 seconds, I was exhausted, okay, absolutely exhausted. And I, I said, we're going to need oxygen and probably an epidural for, for me. So... Um, <laughs> But this is what it was like for them. Because when you're walking through pain and when you're wandering and when it's exile that you're facing, our time frames have got to shift. And the Lord knew that. And this is what the Lord was communicating. But he goes on. There, there's another insight and another parallel even to our own lives. 
As we think about the idea that this world truly is not our home, there's an insight and there's a parallel, another one that he gives them. And it's, it's this, play a part in the redemption of the place you're in, not its destruction. Here's what he said to them. Also seek, verse 7, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Well, that's kind of different than we would have expected. I mean, I figured maybe God would have said, pray for its peace so that it prospers, but the Lord said, no, you're going to be there, so it's in your best interest to pray for the peace and the prosperity of the place that you're going to be for a while. And as I thought about this, I realized there was really never a prolonged period of time. You go throughout Scripture, and there was really never a prolonged period of time where God's people were like at the top, overseeing everybody else. They were always under, at times, the iron fist of a more hostile group of people. I mean, you had the Egyptians, and you had the Assyrians, and you had the Babylonians, and there was a brief window between, basically between the Testaments where you can read about what the Maccabees. But then it's the Roman Empire. And God's people are always having to choose faithfulness, or they're faced with the choice of faithfulness while they're ruled over by somebody else. And I look at that, and I think about today, and I go, wow, I mean, this is this culture that, that produces this thing inside of us where we rant, and we rave, and we push, and we kick against. And that kind of action, if it's been prayerfully arrived at, great. But oftentimes, I believe that when you look around and it looks like a mess, you know what the Lord says? Pray. Pray, because any action you take has to be prayerfully arrived at. It's got to be the result of having listened and heard my voice. Well, there's another insight that he gives them. He says, don't be deceived by those in front of you. Verse 8 and 9. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. See, the threat to them, the Lord knew this, the threat to them was not the pagan gods of Babylon. The most hostile threat to God's people were the false prophets from among the people who were trying to give this idea that maybe this will be less than what you thought it would be. And they would speak in the name of God without ever having listened and without ever having heard from the Lord himself. It reminds me of, and maybe you've heard about bamboo, the Chinese bamboo tree. It's really interesting. If you were ever to plant bamboo, you would, you would think for four years absolutely nothing is happening. And many of us, if we were to plant bamboo, if we didn't know any better, and I didn't know this until I read about this, I'd give up, and I'd maybe dig it up, or I'd maybe move on, because for four years, bamboo does nothing above the surface. It looks like nothing is happening, and yet the entire time, you know what's going on under the surface? It is spreading its root structure, and it is strengthening its root structure, so that by the fifth year, in a window of 60 days from when it breaks the soil, 60 days later, it can get anywhere from 60 to 90 feet tall. 
That's what bamboo does. And God says, that's, that's what I'm up to. He, he echoes this throughout generations. This is what I'm up to. But don't be deceived. Don't listen to those who would say, no, 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 it's, it's going to go quicker than this. Don't dig up the foundation that God has been laying because you don't see something happening. Now, those are, those are three pretty useful insights for any situation in life, aren't they? I mean, if it's true that this world is not our own, as the author of Hebrews tells us, if this is not our home, then you know what we are? We're exiles. We're exiles. And those three insights right there that the Lord gave them at that time in, as they were heading into captivity in Babylon, those are useful. Adjust your time frame. Pray for and seek the redemption of the place you're in, not its destruction. And don't be deceived by those in front of you. Let me take you to something that was very specific for them. Because this whole thing was actually to them, and there's, some, there's, there's a lot in there for us, but this was to them, not to us. Here's what he said to them. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years, verse 10, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Did you hear what the, the, the fulfillment of the promise was there? It was physical land. It was physical land. What they could really hope for and hope in was that their heavenly father would, would bring them back to their physical land. And that's the verse that comes before the verse that we love to put in graduation cards and up on our walls and claim as a life verse. And oftentimes, I think that's how we think of it. We think with the minute hand in mind. And we think, well, God is going to give me land and he's going to give me prosperity. And even if we don't say it, we hope it, don't we? Because we hope in those things. It's a very human thing to hope in those things. Seventy years. In other words, my people, you're going to wait. And you're going to wait. And you're going to wait. And at the end of it, there is a physical answer to this promise. Let's come back to our verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And there's a great picture there of the nature of our circumstances, as you think about theirs, and the nature of God's heart. But this wasn't to us, and that is actually great news. Because for them, at the end of 70 years, they lived under the old covenant, the old covenant that said there had to be animal sacrifice to be made right. There had to be this time of waiting. There had to be 70 years to get this physical promise. It goes on. Then, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Did you hear the word there? I've always missed this. Then. It, that comes on the heels of in 70 years. So then. So if you're a high school senior that just graduated in those days and you got this card that said, for I know the plans I have for you, you know what that's saying? I know you're 18 now, but just wait till you're 88. It is going to be awesome. And all the 88-year-olds in here said, well, maybe. <laughs> 
This is what the message was to them. Because why? It's the old covenant. He goes on. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Did you see that phrase? All your heart. I got to admit, there are many days, it's like very partial, where I get to the end of the day and I go, Lord, I don't really have much energy or strength in the tank right now. And he says, no, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart after 70 years. And you can hope for a physical promise of having your land back. Can you hear what's going on here? Your circumstances are the hour hand. And, and your seeking of me, it's the hour hand. And, and my presence and my promise, it's the hour hand. Man, that's a, that's a long time. It's a real long time. And I look at this verse and I go, it's, it's an incredible verse about the nature of our Heavenly Father. But I believe on this side of the cross, he wanted to point us to something better. He said, this should point us to something better. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11 referring to this generation, and it's like the writer of Hebrews was just flipping through the pages of Scripture. They start talking. They start talking about all the heroes of the faith that we've talked about. There was Abraham, and there was Noah, and there was David, and there were all these, all these people that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Many of them, heroes of the faith who experienced all kinds of victory in the physical promise. It's like they, they got to see it. And then he talks about some others. He says, and then there were some. They didn't live to see even the physical promise of, be, of their land being restored to them. There were some that would die waiting, and, and all that could be credited to them is that they lived their life by faith. They, he, he says it this way, the world was not worthy of them, referring to these generations of God's people. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. In other words, they were exiles. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. In other words, there's a greater promise. There's more than just a physical restoration of the land. There's something greater. None of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. I look at this passage and I go, well, there are some great insights for the nature of our circumstances and how we walk through this life. But there's something better because that was the old covenant. That was the old covenant in which there had to be sacrifice. And there had to be waiting in order, in order to experience any sort of fulfilled promise from God. But at the cross, at the cross, that covenant was satisfied. That covenant was fulfilled. And a new covenant was given. A brand new covenant. Where when I look at my circumstances, yeah, they still happen like the hour hand. But when I look at my engagement of God, 
When I look at my pursuit of God, guess what? It's no longer the hour hand that I have to wait on. It's the minute hand. And when I look at his faithful presence in my life, well, that's like the second hand. That's what Jesus did at the cross. No longer our hand across the board. The circumstances are the hour hand. The, the pursuit of him is the minute hand. And isn't that such good news? Because it, let me ask you something. When you, when you look at the clock in the morning and you see, how many of you have an analog clock with hands on it? All right, there's still a few of us. Okay, so. But does the, when you look at the minute hand in the morning and then you don't come back to it till later in the day, does it judge you? Does it judge you? No. At least I don't think so, unless there's these new smart ones, right? But no, it doesn't judge you, and neither does he. But oftentimes, you know what we do? We go, oh, Lord, I feel like it's real difficult to seek you with all my heart. You want to know what happened after the cross? Peter. Peter, one of the disciples, like the one you read about all the time, who was constantly following Jesus, constantly thinking he had the right answer. You know what Peter did? When he saw Jesus go to the cross, Jesus was like, I'm, or Peter was like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm actually going to go back to fishing. And there was no seeking on Peter's part. Peter was just trying to figure out how to do what he used to know how to do so well. You know what happened? One day Jesus showed up on the shore of the beach. And he said, all right, I'll come find you. Paul, Paul thought he was doing all he was doing in the name of God. And yet he was doing the exact opposite of what Jesus would have asked. Paul was going 180 degrees the other direction from Jesus. And Jesus stopped him. And he pursued him. Jesus told this story. Remember the parable of the prodigal son? And I don't know if you remember the prodigal son. He, he takes his father's inheritance and he goes and squanders it in wild living. And his motives to go back... Not really all that great. I mean, I wouldn't really call it all your heart, prodigal son. He said, huh, my father's workers, they've got plenty to eat. So maybe I'll go back so I can have something to eat. I, I guess I wouldn't call that seeking with all your heart. And Jesus says, but you know what the father's heart is? When he saw him coming back, he ran to him. He didn't stand back. He didn't wait. He didn't listen to the plan. I mean, the, the prodigal son had made this whole plan. He said, no, I don't even care about your plan. You're back. And he ran to him. And he met him. And he hugged him. See, part of clockwise living is this incredible picture that we get from our Heavenly Father. That Jeremiah points us to they had at least the hope of a one-day fulfilled promise. But his words point us to a new covenant and a promise we get to participate in right now. See, there's three words I want you to write down. Patience, pursuit, and presence. Not like Christmas presents, like, like the presence of a person, okay? When it, when it comes to patience, you know what you do? You engage your circumstances in view of the hour hand. When it comes to our pursuit of our Heavenly Father, you give it the attention you would give the minute hand. In other words, there's an ebb and a flow, 
And there are things we get occupied by, but you keep coming back, and you keep looking, and you keep returning. And when it comes to his presence, you know that his faithfulness, you know that his presence is as faithful as the second hand. That's what a picture of clockwise living looks like, especially on this side of the cross, because we have access to a much greater promise, one that's more than physical. One story, and I'm done, and we'll bring up the worship team. I've told you about years ago, we used to take the youth on this winter camp to Pagosa Springs, and one of the, um, one of, I guess, the anchor points or the things that showed up in every single trip to Pagosa Springs with the high school group we would like get a house, like a, a big VRBO house, and uh, this was really just like a rest retreat in the middle of the year. And one of the things that would show up every single trip was we'd put a hole in the wall of the house. And you know, when you rent houses, you put down a damage deposit, and it was usually like $1,000. And so one year, we'd put down this damage deposit for $1,000, and um, our bus driver that year just you know, he had a background in wrestling, and so he always was trying to get wrestling matches going. And so you can imagine how holes got in the wall of the house. So we'd sent this damage deposit in one year. We go, there's a wrestling match that happens, and, and I was upstairs, and somebody walked up, and they're like, Nathan, you got to come see this. And I was like, okay. So... I went down in the basement, and, and I realized they asked me to come down to see if I would notice it. They didn't want to say anything. They just wanted to see if I would notice it. And you know those really transparent curtains? Like, you can see right through them? They had pulled a transparent curtain in front of this, like, two-inch by two-inch hole in the drywall. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's not going to work. And, and suddenly I realized, oh, my goodness. I've got to tell them. And this two-inch by two-inch hole in the drywall we're going to lose a $1,000 damage deposit over. And I was just, I had a knot in my stomach. And so I had somebody drive me in one of our vans over to the, the rental office. And we're sitting there in the parking lot, and they were like, what are you going to do? And I, I, I still don't know where these words came. Well, I know where they came from. They were from him, okay? Because I didn't plan to say these. But these words came out of my mouth and said, you do the right thing, and you trust God with the outcome. And they were like, what? And I was like, I know, it sounds dumb. Why would I do this? So I take the keys, I walk into the office. I was like, hey, thank you. We put a hole in the wall of the basement. No smile, nothing. Just grabs the keys. I was like, thanks, we'll be in touch. And I was like, that sounds like people are going to come visit my door in Littleton. So all the way home, I've just got this knot in my stomach, like $1,000 over this two-by-two-inch hole in the wall. We got home, and a couple days went by, and it's still just like gnawing at me. It was driving me crazy, and I couldn't really focus on anything else but that. So I found one of my mentors, and they were like, how are you doing? I was like, fine. <laughs> and they're like, okay, really, how are you doing? I said, well, I explained the whole situation. I said, what's bugging me is just this $1,000. And they said, well, what'd you do? I said, well, I did this weird thing. I said, I, I just told myself, do the right thing and trust God with the outcome. And I feel like that's what he gave me in that moment. And they were like, really? And I was like, I know, it's dumb. It sounds dumb, doesn't it? Why would you do that? And then he said something that I won't forget. 
He said, well, if that's what he told you to do, then why are you letting it rob you? And walked off. I was like, now that sounded dumb. What, what, on the, what was that? And as I thought about it, I suddenly realized, Nathan, you're so focused on this physical element when right now in the midst of less than ideal circumstances, you can live from the promise that Jesus gave, fulfilled, answered at the cross. You can live from a glorious inner strength of his spirit. And you can live with hope, and you can live with joy, even when that happens. So like 10 days go by, and Melanie, she's like, hey, something come, came in the mail for you here at the office. I opened this envelope, and there's a note in there, and it said, hey, thanks for visiting us, you know, and, and renting our house. We found some extra drywall laying around, and there's a check for $971 and change. And here's what was most interesting to me. Suddenly, that check, it just didn't matter as much as I thought it would when it first happened. Because in the meantime, in the meantime, there was this much greater promise I was reminded of. You view your circumstances with the hour hand in mind. You pursue your heavenly father with the minute hand in mind. And when it comes to his presence, you remember that he's as faithful as the second hand. It's always moving. It's always there. It's always doing something. Let me pray for you as the worship team comes up. Heavenly Father, we are reminded over and over and over and over again that you truly set eternity in our hearts. And so open our eyes, Lord. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe we're looking at circumstances that it feels like the hour hand is even going in reverse. Remind us that you're still there, that you're the God who sees from before the beginning to after the end. You see eternity. And so you know and you hold those circumstances. There may be some in here that it's been a long time when we look at the minute hand and, and our pursuit of you, it's been a long time since we've had a conversation, since we've come to you. Heavenly Father, would you remind us that you welcome us back, that you run to us before we even get all the way to you? Remind every single person in here, we can come to you. And we don't have to wait. We don't have to wait for your answers. And finally, Heavenly Father, when we get distracted and we go about our schedules and we have the ebb and flow and the rhythms of our human schedules and our lives, Remind us that your presence is as faithful as the movement of that second hand, every detail, all the time, every moment. Write that on our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.